0: Invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter five. We're looking at verses seventeen to twenty-three, John chapter five. And this portion of Scripture is really quite outstanding. Uh, This from here to the rest of the chapter to verse 47 at the end of the chapter is really one long discourse by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's ramping things up. He's making it very clear, abundantly clear who he is. He's revealing himself in full-blown deity. There's much to look at as we look at these seven verses that we'll take on here this morning. If we can even get through the seven there's a reason for the title like father like son and i hope you'll see that he makes it very clear this deity of his this role as the son of god which is most offensive to them he makes it very clear this relationship that he has with god the father as his very own eternal son and this this sets the fires if he hasn't set them already by he doing the healings on the sabbath which he'll continue to do, by the way. He deliberately, I mentioned last week, chooses to heal on the Sabbath just so that he has an opportunity to rebuke the religious ones that are gathered around and saying he's healing someone. But it's the Sabbath, and that's against our laws and so on. So he'll do that again. You'll see that as we go through. It's in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14 and 15. There's a woman that's been bent over and can't stand upright for 18 years because of some work of Satan in her lives. He raises her on the Sabbath, and they're all upset about that. And that's when he unleashes those responses along the lines of, who among you who has an ox or a donkey that would fall into a pit on a Sunday or on a Sabbath, excuse me, their Sabbath." would not pull them out. This is foolishness. This is crazy. Why would we not heal people on a Sabbath? What is wrong with that? So we covered that last time. We saw John 5.16, our last verse from last passage last week, where it says, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So that already set the spark well, now he's about to pour an accelerant on it. He's about to pour gas on the fire, if you will. So just when you see this in verse 16, the Jews were persecuting that verb there in the Greek. It's a verb that refers to a continued hostility. So it's the, the flame is, is going, the fire is raging, and it's just going to grow. The persecution is going to continue until they have his life, as we follow that along in John's Gospels. This entire section, of course, is this long discourse that he makes. He knows that it's time to put things into motion in terms of the persecution. He'll monitor that that closely together with his father. I'm hoping that we know something more about this relationship between the father and son, because he has something different to say. It's like a multi-perspectival gem that he's showing us. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Something different, but to that same relationship in each one of those verses. It's really quite remarkable. It's just, he puts us under these time constraints. We're under the tyranny of a clock, but I wish we had more time to spend. But it's it's an amazing thing. Working through this passage and recognizing he's talking about the father-son relationship in every one of these verses. And he's saying something different, but yet the same about that role that he has with the Father. It's amazing. So let's read this together. Chapter 5, verse 17 to 23. So they were persecuting, verse 16, they persecuting him because he's healing on the Sabbath. Verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does. Likewise. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all that you've given us here in this wonderful portion of this discourse. We pray that you help us in the time that we have to mine out all of the wonderful things that you disclose here for us. We pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us more about your relationship within the Trinity than we came in understanding. And that it would impact us, O oh Lord. That it would, at the very least, sharpen our evangel. That we would be able to take texts like these to encourage one another that are in Christ and to show others the living Christ, the Son of the living God, Son of the Father. So, Lord, help us to do that now. We pray that it's all for your glory's sake. Amen. J.C. Ryle said about this section, One thing is certain. Nowhere else in the Gospels do we find our Lord making such a formal, systematic, orderly, regular statement of his own unity with the Father, his divine commission and authority, and the proofs of his Messiahship. As we find in this discourse, to me, it seems one of the deepest things in the Bible, end quote. I don't think that's over the top. I don't think he's being hyperbolic. I think that that is true enough. When, when you begin to take the plunge into this passage, into this discourse, and you start to realize who Jesus is as the Son, the Son of the Father, who is God, it's... you you find it hard to come up for air you you have to just immerse yourself as long as you can and it affects you as you do the more you immerse yourself in the study of this these portions of Jesus's discourse especially as John relays them remember John's gospel was this to be the spiritual gospel the f- Three that make up what are called the Synoptic Gospels, written much earlier, giving a lot of sort of background information, demographic information, and telling stories. And they're all powerful in their own way, serving in their time. But this is something unique. Jesus discloses himself in a very unique, very powerful way in every chapter of this book, in every verse of this book. So it's for us to find out exactly who this Christ is because if we get this truth about him wrong this that's in our passage this morning this that's only discussing his relationship as father-son we could lose our souls and misdefine Jesus this is an essential part in other words of our Christology our understanding who Jesus Christ is as he is second member of the Trinity part of the Godhead and we want to remember that Same with the Holy Spirit. This is the relationship, particularly in this portion, between the Father and the Son. But all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-eternal, co-essential, and co-equal. All of them are equal in essence in importance. So if you don't honor the Son, which they're not doing, they're dishonoring the Son, you're not honoring the Father. That's how we need to view this. So this is why they want to kill him in verse 18. It says, because he's making himself equal with God. In John chapter 14, let's dive in here. Um, We're going to look at, by the way, we're going to look at six different points from these verses to see what, to help us define and unpack this wonderful relationship that the father has with the son and the son has with the father. But let's look at this for a moment. John 14:8 to11. This is with Philip, you'll recall, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us." Jesus said to him, "Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip?" He just asked for the Father, "If I've been with you that long that you don't know me, hello, right?" He goes on, whoever has seen me has, and he puts it very plainly here, has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? I wonder how that was received by Philip. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father. And the father is in me or else believe on count of the works themselves. So we're going to see this as we go through the entire uh, gospel of John. So these breakdowns, I don't have it listed there for you, but we're going to go through them one at a time. Each one is based on the like father, like son premise, like father, like son. First of all, in works. Secondly, In will, like father and like son in will, like father, like son in love, like father, like son in life, like father, like son in authority, like father, like son in honor. And you'll see these as we go along. So let's start. First of all, like father, like son in works. Verse 17 and 18. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. And then this is, this is their understanding of that. This last four or five words, making himself equal with God. Well, let's clarify something right up front. So we have better understanding here. They didn't. They didn't call it blasphemy when Jesus talked about his being a, the Messiah. Because the Jews expected a human Messiah. He was going to come from the line of David. He was going to be a king that would conquer. He doesn't need to be God. He just needs to be a good leader. Charismatic Teacher. That's all he needs to be. So if you look through the Gospels, you won't find them rebuking him or calling it blasphemy if at the context is ever his Messiahship. What they took umbrage with is him saying, My Father. Because they knew who he was talking about. They, they knew when they talk about God, the Father, they say the Father. They will put the definite article there. They consider their, who do they consider their father, by the way? What's his name? Abraham. He even says in another place, right? We have Abraham as our father. Where's your father? Talking on human terms. So you know what they're implying there. You don't have one. You, you were sired, but he must have run off. He's not around here, is he? Can you go get him? See, this is how they're thinking. It's all horizontal. It's all human. So they didn't mind that he, if he talked about being the Messiah, they're certainly going to scrutinize everything he says. But now he knows how to light them up. This is personal. Verse 17. He starts with my father. They stopped right. They, they didn't hear the rest of it, I would suggest. Your father. He's working until now and I am working. This is why they're seeking all the more to kill him. Why? Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath. That's now small potatoes compared to what he just did. But he was even calling God his own father. Father. It would have been okay if you said the father, but you said my father, that makes you the son that makes you equal with God, the father. My father is working and I am working. These are both present tense indicatives. He's making an important point here. It might slip our attention because we think of in terms of working as working our job on certain days at certain hours even god the creator said take the sabbath and rest there's never a moment in all creative history where god stops working never he is this this is a trinitarian at god uh, at work here he is upholding the entire universe if he stopped even for a moment Everything would just vaporize. It would cease to be. Hebrews 1.3, we heard Hebrews 1 this morning for our reading. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, speaking of Christ, of course. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He doesn't take a break from that. He doesn't expend any energy doing that either. That's an important consideration. Doesn't he get tired? No, that's thinking humanly. But he's always working. The Father's always working and the Son's always working. Why put those two present tense indicatives together? Those great truths are always in the constant present tense. What does that make Jesus? Well, let's find out from Colossians 1.17. And he, Jesus, is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the agent of creation. He created all things, and he upholds. So we say creator, sustainer, redeemer, friend. All those belong to him. John chapter 5, and in a few verses down the line here, John 5:36. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me, Now this is getting really personal. So the Father sent you to complete His work. You're working together. My Father is working and I am working to fulfill the will of whom? The Father. But they're so inextricably woven together, you can't pull them apart. We have to think in sections. We have to think in categories. We have to think in boxes. We think sequentially. But they belong together. And if that boggles the mind... That's your God. And that's what makes him God and not you or I. It's, it's due annoying, I think, to human arrogance that thinks that, oh, well, if I can't understand that particular doctrine about God, then, <laughs> right, then I'm going to reject it. It's that I can't reconcile these things that make him God to me who but crazy men would write such things and who but God himself were superintend these things to last through the millennia without just perishing and disappearing as so much craziness. In his high priestly prayer, John 17, 4, I glorified you on earth. He's speaking to the Father. We're privy to something here. It almost makes you want to blush. This is a very close, intimate Powerful love. And we'll look at that as we go along too, because he mentions that if you recall as we read the passage. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. It's just about done. Everything that you wanted automatically becomes what he wants. You can't pull them apart. So you could say, is it the Father's will or the Son's will? What's the answer? Yeah, thank you. Yes. Yes. And he's just made he's just made these statements to them. He just pours it out in seven verses. He just lets them have it. And so they said very clearly, making himself equal with God. I like what Augustine said. He says, The Pharisees understood what the Arians didn't. If you remember the Arians who denied the deity of Christ, they were the ones who were contemporaries of Augustine and he did business with them theologically. They were heretics. So even they understood. Even even the religionists, the 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 Pharisees and Sadducees and Scribes, even they knew what he's saying. They rejected it, but they at least admitted what he's saying. And of course Arius denied it. But that's a whole other story. So the Jews never accuse the Lord of blasphemy for anything having to do with being the Messiah. But it's claiming that he was the son of God. That, that's what did it. In John chapter 8, verse 37 to 41 and 44. it's another place. We're going to look at a lot of these different sections as we unpack each one of these points so that we don't just move through seven verses and move on. They connect up. And I'm going all over, not only through John, but other places as well. But you can mainly stick with just John and see all of these truths unpacked. So we're getting it in sort of a, a brief form here in our passage this morning. But in verse 37 of John 8, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me, because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen my father I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. Who's he referencing? (laughs) Yes. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing what your father did. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Comparison contrasts it to his will and the father's being lockstep. You are taking up the agenda of Satan right now. That's what you're doing. You seek to kill me. Abraham, that's not what he was about. John 8, a little later on in verse 58 and 59, Jesus said to them, finally, truly, truly. And when he says truly, truly, you open up your ears, you focus. If you had been distracted, this you pay attention to. This is truly, this is, this is, this is of a truth, an important, serious truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This is a name they don't even utter. You're claiming to be Yahweh. You're, you're claiming to be the I am. Mm-hmm. So what'd they do? So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. John 10, verse 24 to 26 and 29 to 33. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? And now they're getting tired. If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. (laughs) This is John chapter 10, and it isn't plain enough yet. Hmm. Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. Verse 29, my father, see there it is again. That rankles them. My father, your father, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. Verse 30, I and the father are one. How did they like hearing that? Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. That constitutes blasphemy. You made yourself equal with God. So, How come we can read that and understand plain English and understand what he's saying very clearly, but they wouldn't accept it. They knew what he was talking about. And we still have heretical forms of religion, even in our own country, that deny that. It isn't for a good work, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. That's the issue. While you were just a man claiming to be maybe a prophet or the Messiah, we were sort of vetting that out. That's why we followed you around and asked you questions. We didn't expect this. You're a heretic. And they kill him for it. right? Secondly, from verse 19, like father, like son in will. As I've already alluded to, their wills are melded together in this relationship. Verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does likewise. So as I said, the Father and Son are so inextricably woven together in this Godhead, you can't pull apart their will and say, Oh, is this the will of the Father or the will of the Son? Oh, if it's the will of the Father, it's the will of the Son. If it's the will of the Son, it's the will of the Father. He's there to yield to the will of God in terms of redemption, obviously, and you already know that. So this is one indivisible divine essence one in essence co-equal co co-eternal that's our trinity all must be upheld john 8 again verse 29 he who sent me is with me he has not left me alone for i always do the things that are pleasing to him always that's how that's why he equates love with keeping his commandments because that's what he does with the father Anything and everything the father wants, I will do and I will do it with joy because I love him and he loves me. And that's to be us. John 5 verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. He said, as I hear, I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Chapter 6 and verse 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Augustine said, If the Son doeth the same things and in like manner, then let the Jews be silenced, the Christian believe, the heretic convinced, the Son is equal with the Father. It's the only conclusion that can be drawn Either that or he's one amazing liar or he's a crazy man or both. A crazy man who lies, taking up the will of Satan. Third, verse 20. Like father, like son in love. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel John fourteen thirty one. listen to this carefully but this is Jesus again but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father the way that we know without question that the son loves the father is because he does everything that the father calls for Everything, and he does it with joy. That, again, is our motivation, or to be our motivation for doing the will of Jesus. And that's why it should be so upsetting to us when people who call themselves Christians refuse to do the will, even of Jesus Christ. The Father's love for the Son and the Son's love for the Father is... Motivation for everything. Everything. God so loved the world that he sent his son. Put the whole redemptive enterprise in action. Love. Love is who he is. It's for love's sake that any are preserved alive by the finished work of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said in chapter 3 and verse 35, if you remember, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Back to the high priestly prayer, John and John seventeen twenty six. I made known to them, he's speaking to the Father in prayer, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That is the one thing that Colossians 3 makes clear that binds everything together. Love, that's it. No other motive. No other motive is acceptable for fulfilling the things that God calls us to fulfill. If not for love's sake, if not for gratitude's sake, don't do it. It's nothing but filthy rags. We do it because we love him just like the the son loves the father. Remember John chapter 4 verse 24 when the disciples came back, it was with the Samaritan woman in Sychar, and the disciples went off to get some food, and they come back. Do you want some food? The, 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 my food, I have food you know not of. The food is to do the will of the Father. The, the, completing the will of God nourished him even more than his physical food, if you recall when we went through that. Quite a statement. John 15, verse 10, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. He's talking to his disciples, and by extension, all of us. So maybe I should start it again. This is for us. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandment, and abide in His love. So that's what we compare it to. That's when we should say, you know, that makes sense because that's what Jesus did. Every revealed will of God is completed because of love. It's for love's sake that these things are fulfilled. And why should the Christian look at it as duty alone? He shouldn't. He shouldn't. There should be such a, a love... Intense love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Look before you. What is that? What do we commemorate today? It's the body and blood of Christ. We love Him. And so we follow him. And following him is saying what Paul said on the road to Damascus. Who are you, Lord? And once he knew, what would you have me to do? And he followed him. And he showed him, didn't he? Went all the way to Damascus, blind, of course, regained his sight. And the Lord scurried him away into a Nabatean wilderness east of Damascus, where he personally tutored him. You want to know what my will is? I'm going to teach you, and then you're going to teach Timothy and Titus and others, and then that's going to be my word that finds its place into all those that I've come to die for, and they will love me, and they will keep my commandments, because if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John fourteen fifty. Fourth, like Father, like Son, in life. Verse twenty one. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. So this whole issue of what constitutes life, where, from whence cometh life, where does it come from? We don't self-generate life. We didn't make our own physical birth, and we didn't bring about our spiritual birth. It comes from God. You go all the way back to the Pentateuch. You go all the way back to Deuteronomy thirty-two, thirty-nine, which says, See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Now, that's God, isn't it? I take life away, and I bring it. Job got that, didn't he? The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. And what does he say after that? Blessed be the name. Right response, at least at that point, right? Yeah. You remember when Elijah healed the widow's son? In First Kings seventeen twenty to twenty two, he cries out in this prayer to the Lord. He says, "He cries out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son?" Would you be feel comfortable putting it that way? I wouldn't. <laughs> then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the child, "O oh Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again." And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. Wow, what power. What power. Even Paul into the New Testament on Mars Hill when he's talking to those philosophers there, you know, actually, before that, or after that, rather, when he's talking to King Agrippa, I'm sorry, when he's talking to King Agrippa in Acts 26.8, making his defense, he says, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Because that's what they fussed over, remember, between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Pharisees don't believe in resurrection, and the Pharisees do. And this is a small thing for God. Here's what Paul wrote in this wonderful theological treatise called the book of Romans in Romans chapter 4 verse 17 regarding Abraham Paul writes and as it is written I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not need or that do not exist so. Ex nihilo, in the Latin, out of nothing God creates. He doesn't have to have something to work with. We do. We think we've come up with a creation, but we're just refabricating things that already exist. You can't not do that. We're in a a contained system here. We're creative with the things that God has given us as a creative God. But God can conceive of something that never existed before. That's ex nihilo. Out of nothing he creates. Out of nothing He brings life. So God does that. So we made that clear from the Old Testament. What, about, what does the news say about that? You remember chapter 1, verse 4 from John's Gospel? Speaking of Jesus, in Him was what? Anybody know? Life. And the life was the light of men. Men pitched... In great darkness, as the prophet Isaiah said, right? And then came a great light. That's Him. You see, you can't pull the Son and the Father apart. You can't say one is even one iota less than the other. In Him is life. He is the light. He is the life. So let's see what happens with Jesus now as He's raising the widow's son in Luke 7, 14 to 17. Then he came up and touched the buyer. That's like a cart that pulls a, a coffin or sometimes they just lay the corpse on the buyer, B-I-E-R, and they pull that along. So he came up and touched the buyer and the, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, he's talking to the corpse. Young man, I say to you, Arise, And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. Right response, wouldn't you say? Who is this man? And they all glorified God. Pretty clear who this is. Talithakumi, he says to a little girl who's dead. Little girl, arise. Wow. That's Jesus. That's God. And they glorified God saying a great prophet has arisen and I would have to suggest that that's that could be embellished a little bit. You got more than a great prophet here. A great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. I don't know if the prophet was able to call down God again. No, this is God. God in the second member of the Trinity, Jairus' daughter, Luke eight, fifty four to 55, taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. No therapy. You see, when Jesus heals, he heals entirely. Not just partially. He heals entirely. Sometimes we forget that. She's completely healed. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He says that just before he makes another statement in John 11, saying, Lazarus, what? Come forth. And he walks out. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. Verse 43 and 44, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. You know, the Pharisees, you got to get a kick out of them. They're saying, tell us plainly. (laughs) Does it get any plainer than this? The man who died came out. Five. Like father, like son in authority. The father judges no one but has given all judgment to the son. So back to the Old Testament again, Psalm 50 verse 6 says, "The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge." What does that make Jesus? Acts 17, now we're on Mars Hill, friends. Acts 17:30 30 to 31, the times of ignorance, Paul goes on here, "The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world." In righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Huh. Does that sound like our verse? It ought to. Let me read our verse again. Verse 22. The Father judges no one, he has given all judgment to the Son. So back to Acts 17. He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. There's these exchanges that go on in this difficult to, to comprehend relationship within the Godhead. And so we read things from our limited context in space and time. We think again in boxes and so on where it's like, well, is it this or this, right? Yes. Yes, I am God. Just believe. Believe is all is, that's required of you. If that's what it says, believe. And of this, verse 31 of Acts 17, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Wow. We're busy trying to go, did the father do this or did the son do this? You see that? We have to leave them together even though you can't reconcile their togetherness. We believe what the Bible says about our triune God, and we just bow down and say, "Yes, Lord. I believe. John 8:15 and 16, "You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me." Now they're both judging. Yes. He pointed the son. To judge all things. Yes. Before it was just God that judges. Yes. Amazing. John 12, 48 to 50. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. You already have a judge. I don't need to judge you. As a matter of fact, in another place in the gospel, he said, I didn't come here to judge. Why? We've already been judged. We've already been judged. Our sins, all of them, had already been judged. And all of them, all of them fall on this great truth. He made him who knew no sin to become sin, to be made sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How does that work? And great question, why? Why would you do that? Verse forty nine for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who, has, who sent me has given himself has sent me, has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is what they're rejecting in the gospel. This is why they kill him. There's no way we're going to let you say the things that you're saying and say them as though they're coming from God. They have to reject it. Look what they've spent their lives investing in. Their whole lives, generations of lives have been invested in that religionist moralism that they subscribe to. They had to kill him. But that's what he came to do. That's what we commemorate here today. I say as the Father has told me. Six. This is final, our final point. Like Father, like Son, in honor. Verse 23. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Back to John 8, 48 to 50. The Jews answered him Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So he's like the worst demographic on the planet to them. He's like the the worst people group they could assign him to have come from. But he also has a demon. See, they have to explain something. See, there was no, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, there's no denying the miracles, right? They can't deny that. I mean, hundreds, thousands of people are seeing these miracles. They have to ascribe it to some supernatural source. It's not going to be God, is it? You're a Samaritan with a demon. That's who you are. Sure, you can, you can heal people. What's your angle? What do you want from that? You want something. and We're not accepting it. We're not buying. Verse 49, Jesus answered, You want plain language? Here it is again. I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Verse 54 of John 8 If I glory, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. The Apostle Peter, in Second Peter, his final epistle as he writes it in chapter 1, 16 and 17, he's speaking, of course, the, uh, with regard to the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Matthew chapter 17, when the three of them go up the hill and It's um, Moses and Elijah and Jesus, and they see him transfigured, right? This has got to be probably the most amazing sight that could ever be seen by a human being. It's pretty impressive. And he says here, we are witnesses, eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God, the father, so there he is. There he is being transfigured, transformed by the Father as the Father is honoring the Son, as the Father has given him glory. And you recall the high priestly prayer where Jesus is giving glory to God from the glory you've, I've received from you. It, you cannot pull those things apart. They're both to be glorified. They are both to be honored. And they're dishonoring him in the worst kind of way. That's the point. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born in him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Because so, so again, separating things, just the human mind and the struggles that it has to wrap itself around these kind of incomprehensible themes are worth thinking. Well, so then God, the Father is God. Jesus must be something a little less. And it spins off into false religions. They are the same. I and the Father are one. Before Abraham was, I am. Over and over again. And then we see the roles played out while he's on earth. He had to come incarnate. He had to serve in a fully human form, but fully God at the same time. He served that role and went to be with the father. As we said in the opening reading we had together, he's at the right hand of the father. Neither one, you have to be careful in your mind. Neither one is lesser Jesus, the Son of God, is not one degree lower than the Father. Hopefully, this, just this, these seven verses help us to see that. If not, we'll certainly see it by the time we get through John. That's for sure. Back to the high priestly prayer. John 17, verse 5, and then 24. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You see? Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, is that you here today? If there's any question about it, you can settle that very easy. And I would highly recommend that you do. If not, let the cup pass by. All it takes is believing this statement. To be part of this glorious prayer. All you have to do is say, Lord, I believe. I'm a great sinner in need of a Savior. You are that Savior. You are the Son of God who has come to save our souls. That's it. And then take the cup. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. So my glory that you have given me because you loved me from the foundation of the world. It can be confusing if you're taking that together in a human mind. It can get confusing if you're just reading it off the cup the way you would ordinarily read something to comprehend it as a human being. But these things are meant to be together. The glory of the Father and the glory of the Son. All together in honor and glory. Because of this love. There we are again. The love that you had Because you loved me before the foundation of the world. How long is that? How much time? No, he invented time. It's eternal. He's always had this profound love for the son and the son for the father. We get to be part of a love gift from the father to the son. The father elected a group of people that he would send his son to go save by his sacrifice. We're something just a little bit more than bystanders here. This isn't all about us. It's about the Father and the Son and the glory that He's receiving and the glory that He's sharing with the Father. And I want them with me. So be sure to know that He does love us. But we're part of something. We didn't do it. (laughs) We didn't devise it. We certainly wouldn't. We would be our own God's. We recognize our need for a God, a pure, holy, powerful, wise God, who's benevolent enough to come on behalf of sin sick, shriveled up souls, to bring them up out of the muck from the bottom of the pit, and to breathe life back into them again and cost him his own. That's pretty spectacular. If it isn't, maybe let the cup go by. This is remarkable. Like father, like son, in works, in will, in love, in life, in authority, in honor. Jesus, the eternal son of God. Settle it now if you haven't. Or even if you thought you had, but there was another big important piece to the puzzle that just fell into your heart today. Settle it. Father, thank you. I thank you so much. Lord, I am so tremendously blessed. It's humbling. It's humbling to be spending this week at such staggering truths but you would be glorified. You would be honored. And so, Lord, may we do that here today as we pray now. Oh, Lord, I pray on behalf of any soul that you've allowed to hear this message, whether here or online. These truths are real, they're eternal, they're unchangeable, they're authoritative, they're inspired from the living God. I pray for each and every one, even myself, O Lord, that we would embrace these things with all humility and seek to honor and glorify you with our lives, saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you, O Lord, for this great love gift you've given us back life when we deserve death. And so may you be honored and praised and glorified. In your holy name we pray. Amen.